The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by your own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and that shall be every soul who does not listen, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here together as a family to to worship you and to hear your word, Lord. I pray that um, all distractions are taken away and that our hearts are open to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Janie. Hey, good morning, everybody. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Thanks, Janie, for reading that this morning. And just to give you a little update of of what we're going to be doing over this next uh, few weeks is, um, you know, with Thanksgiving coming up, um, we've just kind of taken it online for the next couple weeks. So we're going to take it online, um, and then we're going to be back in person in the month of December. But... Even for us as a church, from when we started, we've always wanted to have this this mindset of like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And so just being able to to take it easy a little bit and, and relax and just trust that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We're going to continue to be here. And this is about a long-term uh, church uh, that wants to focus on the gospel. And so I think that, that we try to build in some... Uh, seasons of rest because we have a great volunteer team. Uh, can you guys give it up for the volunteer team that's been here since six in the morning, uh, getting things set up, and they they do that uh, weekly. 
but also uh, we do want to have a heart to care for our team. So I'm thankful for our team, our volunteers, our staff, and everybody. Um, if you're new this morning, welcome. Um, glad that you're here. And just as uh, Brooke was saying earlier, uh, we're going to have a newcomer social over here, and we would love for you to, to join us. I uh, would love to meet you and, and hear your story. Um, and, and yeah, so we have that periodically, but um, really our heart as a church is about relationships. And so looking around the people here, it's not just a sermon on a Sunday, not just singing songs, but uh, having relationships and building, uh, discipling uh, relationships together so that we just continue to equip you with the gospel for everyday life. And so we want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus every day. And so that's what we're about. Now, we've been in this series in the book of Acts, and we've been looking at the early church and what the early church was about, and and really it was about relationships, people that were coming to know Jesus in a real way and have a relationship with Christ and then growing together as a family of believers. And so I think this has been fitting for us as a church to be able to go through this together. And our uh, text today is from Acts 3, uh, verses 11 through 26. And last week, uh, we were online because there was some rain, but uh, we preached, uh, or I preached on how uh, the, there, there was this healing that happened where Peter's walking and he sees a lame beggar and then miraculously this man is healed. And how that pointed to the power of Jesus. You know, and that ultimately God's healing is, is uh, about not just the physical, the temporary, but the eternal. And what we're going to see is that this man's life was changed uh, from the inside out, not just physically, but from the inside out. And so today's message is, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so that's my hope for you as you come to to this church and you're a part of this family, um, is that you're going to know that this is all about Jesus. And so as we see what Peter preaches about, we realize it's, it's all about Jesus. And so last week, like I talked about, there was this, this miraculous wonder of God's healing that happens. And today, we're going to look at this powerful word that is preached by Peter here. Now, you see in this message, uh, Peter clearly preaches that it's all about Jesus. And Peter's goal was to help the people to know that that lame man that they would see every day, the one that they saw that, that was the, that beggar outside, that it wasn't just that man that needed healing. But it was every person in that crowd that was listening in. Because whether they realized it or not, they might not have been physically lame, but they were spiritually lame. They needed spiritual healing. And so that's what Peter is proclaiming today, and that's the goal of what he's trying to help them understand. And so beyond physical healing... We're going to study today's text and see how Peter clearly preaches restoration, a need for regeneration, a need for a new heart, and a healing that can only come from Jesus. You see, because that physical healing, what we see is is John Stott, who's a preacher, once said, he says, the power was Christ's, the hand was Peter's. And what we see is that as Peter's preaching, The power is Christ's, the mouth is Peter's, and he has this responsibility to now share where that healing came from. It was from God. In Psalm 80, verse 19, there's this cry 
that we hear. It says, restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. It's a cry for restoration and healing. And my hope is that as a church, we have that same cry. That as God's people, we have that same cry and we say, Lord, restore us. May your face shine on us. Lord, we need your salvation. See, as a Christian, we never get away from the fact that we need God's salvation. We need him to save us. And so we're looking at Acts 3, 11 through 26. And, and here's the question. How does God heal our hearts? How does God heal our hearts? It's through revealing three truths. The first one is this, a shocking reality. Two, a surprising hope. And three, a secure promise. A shocking reality, a surprising hope, and a secure promise. So let's look at the text, uh, starting with the first uh, point here, a shocking reality. Look at verses 14 through 15. It says this, but you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. The author of life. See, there's a clear message that Peter is trying to get across here to the people. Look at verse 14. It says, you denied the holy and righteous one. People ask, what would it be like if God were to walk among us? What would, we, what would our response be if God were to walk among us? And we don't have to wonder what our response would be. We already see it. It's already happened. You see, the, the word you here is used throughout. Verse 13, he says, you handed over Jesus. You denied the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, you killed the giver of life. Can you imagine like sitting there in the crowd of, of people listening as they, they, they remember that Jesus guy that was put up on the cross, but you're telling me that that wasn't just a false prophet, a, a teacher, a good teacher and all, but you know, we, we, no, that was the giver of life. The reason you exist is because of him and you killed him. You put him on a cross. Daryl Bach, who's a commentator on this text, says, you is emphatic and charges the Jewish crowd with responsibility. The result of this opposition was that they denied and slew God's righteous and holy one while preferring that a murderer be released in his place. Do you see the shocking reality of this that, that's just coming to bear on the people that are listening in here? Hold on, the pure and righteous one we killed, but the murderer we released. And here's what we need to understand. This you that's all throughout this text was not just for the Jewish people, it's for all of us. It's for all of us to understand. In a 1978 article, Edmund Clowney wrote this article entitled, God on Trial. And I think it's still relevant for us today. He, said, he asked this question, he says, who is to blame for the Nazi concentration camps? Who's to blame? 
And here's what he says. He says, a, a Gunter Rutenborn play, The Sign of Jonah, asks this question and draws both the cast and audience into the answer. He says, for them, no one is really to blame. A stormtrooper merely followed orders. And an industrialist merely kept up production. A citizen simply did not become involved. Yet in defending their own innocence, each of the accused becomes an accuser. All are guilty. Some are guilty by words, others by silence. Some by what they did, others by what they did not. And suddenly the accused accusers all take up another cry. We are to blame, yes, but we are not the most to blame. The, the, the real blame belongs much higher. God is to blame. God must go on trial. And so in this play, these people put God on trial. And they find that God is the one that's guilty. You see, 2,000 years ago, in the person of Jesus Christ, God was put on trial. And he was found guilty by a human court. And as much as we want to distance ourselves from that, if we're honest, if you're honest in your own heart, and if I'm honest in my heart, many times I put God on trial in my own life. I put him on trial and I found him guilty. See, the truth is that we are all guilty of the death of Jesus. He died by the hands of all of us. It wasn't just the people there, but it's all of us. See, this is the shocking reality of our sin. That our sin put Jesus on the cross. That our sin killed the author of life. But second, there's a surprising hope. Look at the second part of verse 15 into 16. It says, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you know, and in the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, another commentator, Tony Morita, says, in light of these serious charges, we must ask whether there is any hope for such wicked people. The answer is yes. In the center of this passage about the glory of Christ and the gravity of sin, Peter offers amazing gospel hope to everyone. You see, there's a shocking reality of our sin. Yet, there's an even greater amazement as we look at the good news of the gospel. See, where does this surprising hope come from? Well, there's two parts here. The first is this. In verse 15, it says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Now, first, we need to understand that our hope flows from the historical fact that Jesus is not in the tomb, but is risen from the dead. 
He's alive. See, the sacrificial lamb that was rejected by the people, right? We rejected him. He was accepted by God. And God raised Jesus from the dead, proving that we truly have hope of eternal life. See, what's the message of the Christian gospel? What's the message that you and me receive as Christians and believers? Is it that we were good people? Is it that we didn't, we, 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 we aren't to blame for the, the death of Jesus? Is that what it is? No, it's coming to the shocking reality of, yes, it's because of me, yet despite me, God has loved me. And he sent his son for me. And the proof that I, a lame person, can be healed like this man is by placing my faith in Jesus. Placing my faith in Jesus. See, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says it very clearly in verses 14 through 19. And here's what he says. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. What he's saying is that me doing what I'm doing right now is useless if Jesus isn't alive. If that isn't a historical fact, the fact that we are gathering this morning and singing songs and praising Jesus and living with a conviction in our heart that we live by faith in Christ. He says that's useless unless Christ is alive. Skip down into verse 16. He says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. He says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's the truth. This is not your best life right now. It's not. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties. This right now is not your best life. And the Apostle Paul is telling you that right here. He says, because if this was your best life, man, we are of most people to be pitied. But he says, if your life is in the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is alive, there's something better than this life. And so we need to understand that there's a historical aspect to the resurrection of Jesus. And that, 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 that is a, a surprising hope that we have. But second, it's this, that we need to understand that our, our hope is by faith. By faith. Because here's what he says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. See, what is it that's going to make lame people walk? What is it that's going to raise you up in your life? Is it you trying to spiritually get your life together, your act together? No. It's you looking at the only one 
that completely had his act together, and that's Jesus Christ. And that as you see him, as you place your faith in him, he's going to change you into a new person. See, it's by faith. But yet there's something in us that just fights against faith, isn't there? I kind of want it to be about faith. I want it to be about my work. I want it to be about me trying to get my life together and then telling people, this is how you do it. We're ready to write our book, right? Like, hey, do it, do it like me. Here's my list. Do it like me. But no. And the way that you know that you're putting your life in the hands of God and living by faith is this. That as much as you live in life and as much progress as you make, you say, you know what? It wasn't me. It was God who did it. It wasn't me. It was him. By faith in, in God. By trusting in God. Here's what it says in Hebrews eleven six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so you know the most pleasing thing to God is putting your faith in him. As scary as that is to put your faith in him, to trust him, to believe in him and everything that he's done for you, it's that when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you look and you say, what is it that defines me? Is it that checklist that I've got to do? Is it the things that I've left undone? Is that what defines my life? Or is it that, you know, when I, when I look in the mirror in the morning, I can look and say I am loved because God loves me. In that pressure, that thing that just keeps driving me into the ground, my sins, all of those things that I'm holding on to, that actually doesn't define me, but God does. And he actually died for all of that on the cross. There's this book that we went through with the men not too long ago called The Cure. We had some really good conversations about this because as men, we want to just try and do a bunch of stuff to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. One of the things it talks about is there's these two paths that you can walk on. The one is pleasing God and the other is trusting God. And you know, there's that temptation to walk on that path of, well, I'm just going to go please God. But what happens is this, that we try to please God and we do, do it without faith in him. And we try to build up this resume like, God, look at all the things that I've done for you. And it's built out of pride. And what happens is we put on masks and we act like we're better than we are. And then when we find out the truth, <laughs> could it be as simple as trusting God and that God is going to do something in my life and, and, and I can live by faith? It's there that we discover the healing that Jesus offers. See, it's by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So lastly, a secure promise. Look at verses 17 through 18. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the, all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Here's what I want us to focus on as we, we're, we're getting to, toward the end here and starting to wrap up. The first one is this. He says, God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets. And so at that point, 
what they had were the Old Testament scriptures. And what Peter is saying here is this, that as you look through the Old Testament scriptures, you're going to find that Jesus was all throughout the scriptures. That all of it is pointing back to Jesus. I was talking with a friend recently. His dad's a preacher. And we were talking about the Ten Commandments. And he told me about a series that his dad did called the Tender Commandments. And it's about the grace that's there in the Ten Commandments and how God gave those to, to us out of love. See, the only way that you can see the Ten Commandments not as a rule list, but as tender, is understanding that Jesus is right there in the middle of them. Because here's the thing. If you actually read the Ten Commandments and don't avoid it, then you're going to feel the weight of them. And they will crush you. Every one of them. Just taking one of them. The, the fact that all of those Ten Commandments that are there. If you were to just try to live by those, it would crush you. But when you understand that even though you couldn't follow those ten, but that there was one who, who followed those perfectly for you, and you put your faith in him, because that's the whole point of them, you're going to find that they're loving and tender and that, that you're going to actually be able to live out those commandments, not because... It's the rule book, but because it's from the author of life. He's the one who wrote them. And so you're going to find life in them. You're going to find life in them. Alfred Edersheim, who was this um, Jewish uh, scholar that converted to Christianity, as he read through the uh, Old Testament, he found that there was 456 specific Old Testament passages referring to the Messiah or Messianic times. So he's like filtering through and reading in. He's like, wow, these are all talking about Jesus. And here's the thing. God didn't just foretell them, but it says he thus fulfilled them. Here's the takeaway you need to understand today. It's this, that God keeps his promises. That God keeps his promises. Maybe that's the only thing you need to hear this morning is this, that God keeps his promises. And you've been struggling with that. Because it, you, you think about it sometime like, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a dad. I've, I've made promises. And there are times where I've made promises I just couldn't keep. And you know the thing? My kids always remember that. I don't know what it is about them. You know, like ask them to clean their room. They don't hear it. But when, when it comes down to it, like if I make a promise about something, they can recall it, when, where, how it happened. And here's the thing. like, There's those moments that I've made promises as a dad, and they reminded me of it, and my heart sinks. Because I think I didn't come through. Man, I said I was going to do this, but I didn't. I wasn't there. But here's the thing about God. He's not like me or you. He's faithful all the time. And he's always on time and his timing is perfect. And that's the thing that I need to remember on a consistent basis is that, you know, what? at the perfect time, Jesus came. At the perfect time, 
Jesus rose from the dead. And at the perfect time for you and me, he meets us right where we're at. And so I'm praying that today maybe it is the perfect time where you might have heard this message again and again. You're like, I know that Jesus thing, but, but it just hits you to the heart where you understand the shocking reality of, yes, the reason he's on that cross is because of me, because of my sin. And the surprising hope that Jesus has risen from the dead and that I could be a part of his family. So what do we need today? Well, let me, let me give some quick takeaways. The first one is this. A revolution in the heart is the first one. A revolution in the heart. Verse 26 says this. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here's the thing. The people that were there that saw Jesus and said, crucify him, those people, right? The people that we want to kind of distance ourselves from. Oh, I would have never done that. If I were there, I would have done this. No, 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 no. All of us. You know what God's heart is? To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You know what? The, the, the Bible uses that word Repentance. We've talked about this before. What is repentance? We, we think sometimes it's this bad word that you just can't use. Repent, turn, and all of these things. But no, when you see the gospel and you see grace, what it is, it's, it's good news. It's the good news that I don't have to live in the emptiness any longer. I don't have to live consuming the things that, that are just going to continue to make my life spiral down more and more and more and actually live for something that matters. Right? It's a, it's a new life. John Lynch, who helped write that book, The Cure, he says, what if repentance wasn't a promise from you to God, but a gift from God to you? You ever done that before? You think, okay, well, God, I'm never going to do this sin again. I'm never going to, I've, I've got my life to get, like this time, I'm not going to do it. But what God is saying is this, that what if you viewed repentance not as a promise from you to God. Oh, it's all about me just trying to get my life together, but actually as a gift from God to you. The fact that he's convicted my heart to this place to say I need Jesus is the greatest gift I could have because I wouldn't have been aware of it. I wouldn't even have known. I would have just kept going in the same direction, doing the same things, destroying my life. And we can destroy our lives in a lot of ways. Maybe it could look successful to the world, but it's still destroying our lives. Because God, Jesus says, you can gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. And so today, if we're going in that direction, and God is, 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 is reaching out his hand in love, saying, turn, trust me, I want to bless you in a way that's going to be everlasting, not this earthly material thing that you think success is truly about. God wants to do a revolution in the heart. Second, refreshing time with Jesus. I love this. In verse 20, it says, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. 
Here's the thing I want us to think about this morning. How many of you feel refreshed right now? How many of you feel like, okay, yes, things are good. I can take a deep breath. Like, even though in the midst of a pandemic, I am refreshed. What this is, is an invitation for refreshing time with Jesus. See, maybe we thought that refreshment was going to be just sitting in front of that screen or binge watching that show or doing all these other things, but it didn't bring us refreshment. It actually brought more anxiety and stress. And what this is, is again, an invitation to a relationship with Jesus. So my question is, how are you starting your days? What kind of conversations are you having Where are you looking to? I mean, I confess this week, I was like, man, my first instinct is just to reach for that phone and look at the news feed of what's going on and and all my email lists. And you know what? That's not refreshing. And so I was kind of brought back to the reality, you know, I need to start in God's word and I need to end the day in God's word and be refreshed by the presence of Jesus. At times a refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, that God's with you. Lastly, renewal day by day. See, some of you need to hear this. Don't give up. God is still with you. He still loves you. He still treasures you. He's still protecting you. He still died for you. Friends, what this is, is a journey day by day. One of my friends, Zach, he wrote this song called Day by Day, and he says this. He says, when I'm feeling at my worst, I'm still of righteous birth. Day by day by day. Even when I'm at my worst, I am still of righteous birth. Did I earn it? Did I, did I get it all together? Did, did I earn that position of being of righteous birth? No. It was freely given to me by grace through Jesus. Nothing can take that from me. Nothing can take that from you as you place your faith in Christ. Lastly, let's reflect on Jesus and what he's done for us. See, what's the message of the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, for our sake, why did he come? Is it just for the bad people over there? No. It's for all of us. For our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, the sinless lamb of God, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what is it that God looks at when he sees you and you place your faith in Jesus? He doesn't see the mess up. He doesn't see the person who, maybe you think in your mind, man, I just, I just don't have it together. I'm a loser. No. He says that you're covered in the righteousness of God. Friends, that's the greatest gift that we can have. See, when we get this, When this gets deep into our heart, we'll see that it is all about Jesus. And you can go out in the world 
and live for him not because you have to, but you get to. You get to live this life knowing that truly is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that today we understand this message. Um, I think when we read the scriptures, we want to kind of distance ourselves from it in ways where we say, well, that's people 2,000 years ago. And yeah, it was. But I pray that you bring it into right now, right where we're at, and we understand that this message is just as relevant for us as Peter's preaching today. This message, it, it, it hits us that we need Christ and that it is by faith in Christ. And so, I, Lord, I pray that we will lay, as it's been said, lay our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet and stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete that we are complete today in the work of Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.